0: Hello friends, welcome to or welcome back to a Runner's Life podcast. As most of you will know, I run primarily the marathon distance, but for the summer I'm going to be switching up a little bit. So, I'm going to be trained by Olympian Nick Willis to run my fastest mile. However, I've got a caveat that I have very minimal middle distance experience. In fact, the only time I ran a mile race was back in 2017, where I ran a 553 I've gone on to run faster times in my training but that doesn't count. So what counts is that time and seeing how much I can beat that time by. In addition to this podcast what I'm going to be doing is doing a special YouTube series where I talk about the training sessions in detail and you can see how I get on in my first time trial which is going to be episode one which is also released concurrently alongside this episode and then I'll take you on the journey until week seven into the final two races. This training really is a reboot to my training. I think sometimes it's so easy to get stuck in a plateau and kind of do the same thing. So I'm hoping by appreciating the track season more over the summer, it's going to kickstart my running as I move forward. So the training is going to be approximately seven weeks. However, it's not just for me, it's also for you. You can also get involved and train to run your fastest mile. The sponsors of the show, Tracksmith, are encouraging runners to get involved. If you're up for it and you want to join me in the London workouts, do feel free to come down April 7th, 14th, 21st and 28th in Regent's Park. And we're going to be doing a time trial on May 5th at the Paddington track. So I'm gonna be doing two mile races. The first is gonna be May 1st, Vitality Mile. And the second is the Tracksmith Knights of Miles, on May 12th, which you're welcome to come down to. What I'm really looking forward to is the fact that Nick is gonna be down there on May 12th. And he's gonna be there pacing for a couple of people, myself included for my mile attempt. And he's also gonna be pacing Molly Bryan, who's also taking part in this. So I'll put her details in the show notes. So if you want to follow along and see how she's getting on, please feel free. What this project is not is about trying to focus on PRs and that kind of stuff. It's more about focusing on as runners, we get to that stage of we need to change things up and switch things about. So, by doing something which challenges you to be your best self in another format of running, you know, it's a win. So, hopefully, you can relate to that as well and it would be great to see how you progress in your mile training as well. With that being said, there's no one better to take me on this journey than Nick Willis. For those who don't know, he's an Olympian, he's an athlete for the last 20 years. Each year, he's run a sub-four-minute mile. So beyond the speed, he's obviously got the consistency and experience. So who better to take me on this journey forward? Before I get into this conversation, I want to say a big thanks to Andy Wortman for setting this up and for also filming me doing the mild time trial respect to him for doing that and with that being said let's head to the conversation with nick hi nick welcome to a runner's life podcast how are you doing
1: hey marcus thanks so much for having me on here this is exciting that's a, a different sort of way of doing podcasting before for me anyway normally it's just a one-way interview so i'm excited to get to ask you some questions as well
0: awesome um i know like you said you've got experience in doing the, the interviewing yourself so it must be quite interesting as well to be on the other side as well.
1: Yeah, no, it's fun. I mean, when I do my interviews with athletes, um, whether it be recruiting athletes into the, the Tracksmith Elite Athlete Program or um, whether it be from a coaching standpoint, it's obviously in a private setting. But yeah, it'd be fun to sort of let the audience be a fly on the ball and see how that process goes. And I'd be curious to see whether other coaches think it's similar how they would approach it i haven't ever seen how other people go about learning about a new athlete and figuring out um, on the fly what the right sort of training to assign us so yeah it's, it's going to be a an interesting
0: endeavor absolutely so the point of this conversation is going to be in two parts the first we're going to do a little bit of A, Q&A, a little bit of a conversation going back and forward and then the second part we're going to talk about a exciting project we've got coming up in regards to the mile project which anyone can get involved with and it's going to be forming the next phase of my training. So I'm really looking forward to talking about that. But a question I always ask my guests is, what does a runner's life mean to you?
1: For me, a runner's life means that not running makes you depressed. (laughs) When I'm injured, it's the time that I appreciate running the most. When I can't run, it's like, man, I, I really wish I could get out there and just be out in God's creation, putting one foot in front of the other. And you share that common bond with people around the world. There's a A brotherhood or a a fraternity out there no matter where I am in Poland or Portugal or um, in New Zealand or where I live now in the States I can connect with people because we have that same shared experience of working towards a goal and um, running is, is a really unique way of doing that
0: that's so true you do have that connection when you see someone running you're joining someone for a run there's that unspoken bond that you both know that you're part of something and you experience that thing together which is quite cool
1: yeah, I mean, most other sports, you sure there's pain involved. If you play rugby, if you get tackled, that's excruciatingly painful and a big hit. But you, it just happened because of the circumstances. And running, the amount of pain you suffer from or experience is all how much you're willing to like put yourself through that um, that state of pain. So it's sort of self inflicted suffering, which almost makes it the hardest sport of all. So if other people are willing to sign up for that as well then you have a lot of respect for each other there's that common shared experience
0: absolutely and congratulations i know a lot of people said this to you recently on hitting a milestone you know 20 years of consistency 20 years of you know sub four minute miles racing it's been an incredible achievement and i'm almost a bit like where do you kind of go with that really because I'm sure you've been asked so many of the same sort of questions you know you've been asked similar things in podcasts and whatnot but if you were interviewing yourself what question would you ask yourself about what's happened and where you are right now
1: yeah that's a really good way of putting it and I I guess I have been interviewing myself sort of in my mind at least for the last week because now I'm on the other side of that and I've reached this goal and the Olympics are over for me and I don't really need to keep a streak going alive anymore. So it's like, well, what is there for me left like to keep me motivated? Or am I suddenly going to become a really unhealthy person that doesn't look after myself? And I know I, I feel more alive when I am working towards something. So I'm trying to figure that out right now. But I think ultimately, what I enjoy is being able to be athletic, not just a jogger. I like to be someone who like has the ability to jump in with workouts when necessary or to be able to sprint with the young bucks every now and then. And I think ultimately that's why I enjoy the mile is because it requires all the different facets of training, the sprint training, the endurance training, the strength training in the weight room or on the hills and everything in between. Um, so yeah, whether I still go after the sub four minute miles is another question, but I definitely want to keep my overall physical health through, um, yeah, probably adjusted or modified mile training to what I was doing when I was at the pinnacle of my career. But I'll at least keep mile training going to some degree.
0: Like you said, you want to keep your hand in it, especially just with the fitness side. And but you also touch the upon community. So I guess like transferring your knowledge or helping other people out in the same space must be quite an important aspect of what you'd like to impart for the future generations of runners.
1: Yeah, I mean. It's not even the telling people are like mentoring with through words. It's more just I like to show my training partners how to train that it's not about what you can get out of your training that one particular day that doesn't necessarily equate to anything. It's how you can have a cumulative buildup of I've earned um, fitness through all of the different facets of training day after day, week after week, month after month. And just getting 90 or 85% out of yourself every day for a long period of time is going to be far more effective than going 100% for a week and then sort of fizzing out after that as well.
0: I think that almost touches on the aspect of, you know, talent versus hard work. And that's really sort of focusing on if you do the right things, the hard work, things will pay off for you. Like you said, the the higher percentage
1: Yeah. I mean, I think at least in America, we people here, there's a tendency to work too hard, but sure you do have to work hard, but it it, it comes at a cost if you overdo it. The human body is a pretty remarkable thing. It will recover and adapt and become pretty um, resilient to high stress loads, but you have to give it a chance to make those adaptations, right? So I'm more on the idea of work hard and then rest hard work hard and then rest hard so really trying to like find balance in your life and mile training doesn't require crazy high mileage a decent amount but the the rest element is just as important as the working hard element so you need to be able to do both very well
0: and how do you get that balance right because obviously you're training at a high level and you've got you know wife and kids and you know other things as well how do you kind of keep that recovery element where it needs to be
1: Uh, I definitely have found the last couple of weeks since I sort of stopped making looking after my body a priority much harder. And I realized the number one area that I haven't been looking after myself is sleep. But that also taught me that maybe for the last 20 years of my running career, that's one thing I have really done extremely well with was just getting high quality recovery. So I was sleeping nine hours every 24 hour period every day of my running career now i've been getting sort of six or seven and it's catching up to me big time like there's a huge difference between six or seven hours of sleep a night and getting eight plus one so i was getting eight in a night plus another hour nap every day it's it's like night and day how how your body feels and your motivations and your ability to get um good solid training and so i think that's probably the area that even if you're a parent Kids have to sleep 10 to 12 hours a day. So there is the time to do it. It's just a matter of whether you prioritize Netflix or um, flicking through your social media accounts or just going to sleep.
0: 100%. So I want to focus on the audience questions. And this might touch upon potentially what your motivations might be or might not be. Dave Bradshaw asks, when you refer back to say someone like Eamon Coughlin, who was the oldest person to run a sub four minute mile, age 41. Is that something that you want to go for next?
1: I think if there was another sort of carrot for me to chase, it probably would be to try and run it as a 40 year old. But again, I don't want to feel a slave. I'd be more than content to never, if I was never able to race again for the rest of my life, that's fine. And I'd be very content with that. But I do think I need to have carrots to chase because it's the journey that I, I feel most alive when I'm working towards something the actual result i don't care about anymore these days but the working towards that goal that's what really gets me excited and invigorated and um, i want to still have those carrots to chase so that might be
0: potentially one so it's definitely when people say it's about the journey as opposed to the end goal that's what it seems like for you what you've just said there
1: yeah it's the i need something to give me excitement to get up in the day for to be excited to go out and do the hard work um that that's that's the lifeblood of life right to feel like that you are passionately working towards something that's what gives you purpose in life and um at the moment my work is my sort of what i'm focused on but i i realize also that it's not healthy to have things that are just in front of a computer screen all day as as being the only focus
0: absolutely and i guess when you speak to other athletes at your level or who've gone on to retire i mean what kind of advice do they give you about kind of making sure that you try to do what you just said there try to find something you can redirect your, your focus into in the most positive way
1: yeah i'm not sure i've actually spoken to too many people about it i've read a lot and i i know especially in other sports some professional sports like american football or basketball they say that there's a high level of like divorce rate after those professional athletes retire because the athletes sort of don't have the same like passionate about what they're doing so their wives or spouses don't find them as appealing anymore because they're just moping around the house all that sort of stuff so I know there's definitely that tendency I'm fortunate however that I already sort of started that transition phase two or three years ago when I already started my sort of post-running professional career and I've I've been working full-time now and running has been a serious hobby as opposed to the only thing that that I am focusing on each day. So yeah, it's been a very, very fortunate progression that I've experienced. And I have I get my competitive juices satisfied playing recreational sports now, basketball, and other um, fun things with my friends and coaching my son's team. So for me, it, it hasn't been too bad.
0: Absolutely. And I don't know why I'm going down this way, but with the basketball side, I guess it has got to be some of an trash talking because I sort of think of like Michael Jordan's last dance type thing. I guess you don't really get that chance in the mall because everyone, because you're working so hard, there's no opportunity to trash talk, but is that something that you would ever try to (laughs) move into basketball at all?
1: Well, where the the gamesmanship happens for running is more in the call room, the 20 minutes before the race, when you're all stuck in a a little area where you're putting your bib numbers on and putting your spikes on and you're in there with your quote unquote enemies right before the battle. Um, so there's an opportunity to like engage with your competitors in ways that might get under their skin or like exude confidence from yourself. And most people are pretty cordial, but you can tell whether it's sincere or whether it's I'm going to tear you apart in a race sort of approach. There's obviously everyone's trying to be pretty gentlemen in, um, um, in that state. What I'm finding really interesting about basketball and the rec leagues is how intense everybody is and so i think most of my smack talk is trying to get under the skin of the overly serious types and as to say come on dude, like we're just having fun out here and so they might be getting really angry and and you'd like well you're like smack talk love to them or you try and like find ways to like get them to to calm down but it only makes them more and more um fired up you know so that that can be quite fun
0: yeah absolutely so and ask what do you credit to you, your ability to stay so consistent over the years i don't know you've spoken about recovery and the focus previously so i'm not quite sure whether there's anything else you want to add to that those points
1: yeah i, th- I think the number one thing is that i've always i've never strayed too far away from sprinting most people are able to keep working towards distance running marathoning and all of that sort of stuff through most till much later on their life than 38 where i'm at but very few people keep going with the faster stuff. And I think I've just always enjoyed doing sprint training down at the track. I live in a college town where I'm hanging out with a graduate and PhD students every week for my training partners. So I'm around 23 to 27 year olds every day and they're still doing sprint training. So I do that as well. And I think so long as you use it, you don't lose it sort of thing. So it's it's more fun for me. And then racing is just sort of a, a byproduct of, of that. And I also don't, I might have been quoted in this another area. I, I've stayed away from doing those sort of finish your workout, leaning over the trash can type workouts by and large, those ones where you just got the huge, massive lactate headache and you, you sort of questioning why are you even putting yourself through this again, that stuff that isn't sustainable long-term. But by doing lots of good long runs, lots of sprint training and then easy tempo runs, then it's sort of like, A sustainable model to go for a long time
0: and I guess on the back of that I guess you've had to adapt probably the way you train and your mindset to suit where you are in that point of life
1: yeah I mean honestly my my training only made one major change and it came very young I was only like 21 or 22 Um, up to that point I was doing a lot more anaerobic or intensity type based training And then after that, I switched to being training more like a five thousand meter, ten thousand meter runner who who happened to race the mile. And then I've kept it all the way through. It hasn't really adjusted at all. Just the performances have started to slowly come off the other side of the curb, but not by too much. Okay. But I think it's because I made that that change earlier
0: on. I don't know. I think from people who haven't kind of come from that background, from that middle distance and upwards, like you're saying, five thousand and upwards. I think they're kind of like listening to thinking what does that mean and I mean what does that look like in terms of like workouts yeah And and I guess would that yeah I'll let you answer that before I go on
1: so basically most of my workouts I'm I'm doing it in what we call threshold training that's sort of the heart rate zone where my max heart rate right now is a lot isn't that high because i'm older now so let's say my max heart rate is 195 i'm doing most of my training in the sort of 160 to 170 range and so that's the bulk minute if i'm doing quote unquote workout days i'm doing spending a lot of time doing interval like long intervals or tempo runs where i'm just staying in that range i don't do much that gets me into one to the 180 heart rate range because that's just like extreme that's and then I'll be going anaerobic which means I have to I run out of oxygen pretty quickly that can't source my muscles so I'll do like easy 400s with a short recovery easy thousands with a short recovery or 20 or 30 minute tempo runs and when I finish those workouts I feel like oh that was pleasantly difficult or is that the great athlete head coach would say you run where you're pleasantly fatigued But I could have done more and more easily if I'd really wanted to. But I I stopped there and then came back a few days later and did that again. But I keep my my speed going because at the end of those workouts, I'll switch into my spikes and I'll do like four times 100 meters at 100% speed. And that way I'm keeping my actual like mechanical ability to move over the ground really fast still there. I'm like sprinting but I'm na- never doing those like two or three or 400 meter intervals where you're going all out as fast as you can. And you're hunched over on your knees and gasping for air or for oxygen afterwards. I only do that at the very end when I'm just before a, a championship race. And so because I'm sort of under control all the time, it means my body isn't throwing up the red flag saying, yeah, I'm done. And it's it prevents injury as well. Cause you're not like running under duress. You're always running under control and, it's about building blocks week after week, month after month. And it's actually the same approach that um, the Ingebreksons, who the famous Norwegian brothers, and Jakob is the youngest of which, and he just broke the world record. He won the Olympic Games in the 1,500 metres doing just that sort of training, but probably even to a higher degree.
0: It's really interesting you made that link because I was going to make that link to those brothers as well because I've seen quite a lot of people use that training and try to apply it to say marathon training in terms of working at threshold, the double workouts. So I thought it was quite interesting to sort of see the link between, you know, the middle distance upwards.
1: Yeah. There's differs from mine that they do double workouts like one in the morning, one in the evening, whereas we do double workouts as the same workout. So we'll do hills and then intervals all as part of one workout or a tempo run and intervals, all part of the same workout. And then I also still believe in doing a, a proper long run, whereas they, they don't actually do a long run. They just keep going with those double workouts three times a week. So it's, it's all different, and maybe that's potentially the next step. I think theirs requires a much more sort of monk-like existence in order to recover for all of the amount of workouts they do each week. They can't really have any additional life beyond running. Whereas mine avails for a lot more balance with other hobbies and family um, responsibilities and stuff like that. So long-term, it's more sustainable in my opinion.
0: Yeah, 100%. Jerome asks, what is the benchmark workout from Marv that you use that you say prior to a race to kind of know that you're in certain shape to run a certain time?
1: I think in general, the, the thing that we've always used for other athletes that we've coached, my wife and I have had a, an online mile boot camp going for the last five, six years. We use an 800 meter time trial the week before, but we give people some four 200s beforehand to sort of like take the edge off and like make you run under a little bit of fatigue. And then you do an 800 meter time trial. And basically, what you can run for that 800 will determine um, what you're capable of in a mile. So if someone's wanting to run a sub six minute mile, that means that they need to go through the halfway mark in three minutes, right, for the half mile. So if they run a 250 for the 800 on that test the week before, that means they've got a 10-second differential that they're wiggle room. So if they can run an all-out 800 and 250, that means if they run a three-minute 800 in the race for the mile, they've got a 10-second buffer. And that's normally 10 seconds is around the average. The person who's more sort of endurance oriented, they might be able to squeeze down to eight or seven seconds maybe, but normally not really any lower. Or the speed oriented person might need to push it out to 13 or 14 seconds, that buffer. So whatever you can run for that 800 within reason will sort of determine what your ceiling is for the mile. Um, if, If all things are held equal, obviously weather and sickness and all that other stuff can throw that off but that's that's a pretty good gauge and that's held true for me throughout my career
0: yeah that makes a lot of sense so I've got a couple more questions some serious questions and some not so serious questions as well I'll do the serious ones first before we go into light-hearted end of the audience questions so Craig asks in 20 plus years running what area of what area of training has changed and impacted you the most? For example, shoes, nutrition, recovery, watches, data, et cetera.
1: Um, I think the biggest thing that changed for me during my career was actually a change in the approach to recovery. When I first came to college in America, the ice tubs or ice thing was like the big thing. And so literally after every single training run, because our university had the facilities, they had like four big um, industrial-sized ice tubs where we could fill up with and set the temperature exactly whatever we wanted. We'd finish our runs and then make ourselves suffer by being in this frigid water for 12 minutes after every run. And we did this every day, sometimes twice a day if we were doubling. Um, And I did that for like eight or nine years of my career. And then suddenly research came out that yes ice tubs and immersive therapy can be beneficial but not if you do it every day like you when you're training you actually need your body to have the inflammation and then like it will make the adaptations the only time you really need to or should encourage yourself to do that is right at a championship and so pretty much I decided from that point on I'm never going to use ice tubs again except for when I'm in the final phase of needing to recover for a championship and that's basically in between the rounds the heat and the semi-final and the final and it's made me enjoy running so much more because i haven't worried about the additional suffering that i sometimes think we impose upon ourselves and that same approach has sort of carried over the other areas of recovery i think the temptation is to like get on foam rollers all of the time stretching boards Um, all of this different stuff and sure there is a time and a place for all of that but we always think more is better and we just like we rely on like trying to like be over disciplined to improve ourselves but honestly the best form of recovery you can get is to get as much possible sleep as as you can and then to make sure that you don't jump into training loads that your body's not ready for and if you slowly adapt to your different training cycles, then you're not going to need all of those recovery tools because your body's not going to feel beat up from them. Um, and so that's been my approach and that's been why I've been the healthiest I've ever been in my career. I plan things out. We all know not to go from zero to hundred miles in two weeks. We've got to space that over a three or four month period of time. So we need to take that same approach with all areas of training. If we're going to start to need to do running in spikes on the track, You need a two or three month period of like gradually adapting to spike running. If you're going to be doing uphills, you got to like build into it. You can't just always just jump into everything and that's how you prevent injuries. And then you don't need all of
0: those like supplementary recovery tools. I think, like you said, there's a tendency to do all these extra things. And like you're saying, the most important thing that all runners need, you know, get the most benefit from is sleep. If you can maximize that, then that is basically where... You know, you're going to help yourself a lot. Yeah, we,
1: we always look for the shortcuts, but it's it's right there in front of you. Eat the same meals that your grandma would have cooked 30, 40 years ago and um, and get some sleep, and that will, that will get you 99% of the way.
0: Yeah, but like you're saying, it's just the basic things which aren't as glamorous but do yield the greatest results. So final question from Craig, and he asks... Would you swap your 20 years of sub four-minute miles for the mile world record? Yes.
1: Um, any day of the week. The that, uh, that, the coolest thing about when I ran my PR, when I ran a 329-1500, it was going through the halfway mark. I think I was 152 at the 800-meter um, split. I was like, I'm not tired. This feels unbelievable. Like to be running that fast and not feel the fatigue. Like so if you're running a record world record pace at three forty three for the mile, that means you get to go through the halfway mark in a mile of one fifty one and you'd still feel very under control. Like that would be such an amazing feeling. Yeah, I would i definitely make that that trade if I was as capable of it. But I I'm it's I'm I don't have any regrets in my career either.
0: No, that makes a lot of sense. So, final questions from the audience. And this is from Glenis, who's a fellow Kiwi. And so, the first question is based on this or that answer, basically. So, would you rather have a Big Ben, which is a famous New Zealand pie brand, or Uncle Ben's? So, Big Ben or Uncle Ben's?
1: Isn't Uncle Ben's rice?
0: I'm thinking, yeah, the rice.
1: (laughs) Well, so I did, I was for a second. I was thinking Uncle Ben's also made pies in New Zealand, but no. I'd love to have a Big Ben pie right now. Like, I haven't been back to New Zealand since the pandemic started. We were there when the pandemic first happened in March 2020, when everything shut down around the world, and we were there for the first five weeks of lockdown. But then we returned to our home in the Michigan. I haven't been home since. And sure, I miss my family, but I talk to them all the time on on my phone. But I miss most is some of the, the guilty pleasure foods that you can get at the gas stations or the grocery store um, or the bakery. Um, that's the stuff. So, pies, um, the different um, ice creams that we have are popsicles and then all of the donuts. Like, you can't get in that stuff anywhere else in the world.
0: So, when you talk talking about pies, I'm thinking like in the UK, we've got pie mash. So, like, what's, what makes these pies so good?
1: Well, I'm sure they probably have them in the UK also, but just the steak and cheese pie or the potato top pie. It's just very simple. It's just it's the pastry around it, and then it's got a bunch of gravy and mince or gravy and steak, and then it's a little bit of cheese, and then the, the pastry on the top as well. You cannot get that in America. There are some really high-end gourmet pot pies that you can buy in America that are pretty amazing as well, but not like the, the $2 gas station ones.
0: Yep i'm glad i had my lunch before you just did that whole description (laughs) calorie description because it was making quite hungry as well so that's good second question from blennis fifth avenue mile or wellington's golden mile
1: uh the fifth avenue mile is holds a special place in my heart obviously i've had uh, a lot of my success in my career on on that um on that little stretch of famous road in, in new york city and new york's become sort of a second home for me from a running standpoint i've raced 30 times there in my career and it's always the final race of the season on the professional circuit so yeah that that's gonna um have
0: to win sorry glennis the final question was called flip-flops jandals so jandals or recovery sandals
1: yeah i i i'm more of a barefoot kind of guy so the most barefoot possible would be flip-flops the flip-flops are you can actually get away with wearing flip-flops with jeans out to a restaurant and it can have like a bit of a style to it but you can't wear slides with jeans like it's too sporty whereas flip-flops have more that surfer sort of look so you can get away with being. Um, so there's there's a more multi-purpose use when because I've traveled for so much of my career like it's about minimizing your luggage um, so you need the most um, multi-use shoes that you can get and flip-flops I've gone all around Europe with just a pair of running shoes and a pair of flip-flops for two months before
0: it definitely works I think we've come to the end of the the questions and we're going to head into talking about the project so do you want to give us an introduction into what we've got planned
1: well first I just wanted to ask you like you obviously have come to the sport of running through the marathon right and you've told me once before you've raced a mile but have you ever have you ever really approached training to actually like give the mile a go as a a focus for you or has it always just been a part of what you've been doing for your marathon goals
0: do you know, what? I, I didn't come through running through like school or a running club. So I kind of got into it through a bet from a friend. So it just started off doing a 10k and then it kind of gradually worked its way up to a marathon, which I've kind of hovered at, but I've not actually done any specific training at the the shorter speeds.
1: And that's it's such a common story for most people that come to the sport, not through the competitive side of like high school or club um, sports. So You represent a huge percentage of people that we see at these um, major running
0: events. Like I said, I've only done one mile race and it was several years ago and it hurt. So, but obviously, you're going into it without knowing how to pace it and you're going into it without actually doing any specific training for it. You're just trying to hold on, which is (laughs) quite it it feels like an eternity.
1: Yeah. Well, for your listeners who don't know, basically how this came about um, was that a mutual friend of ours, Andy Waterman, who is a colleague of mine at Tracksmith. He is said Marcus has been training for the marathon. He's sort of like he's he's feeling a bit burnt out from it all and might need a bit of a, a change. And that he or I, I'm quoting Andy here. He said like well, why don't you, like, try something different, train for the mile? Like, I could get Nick Willis to help coach you. He has this sort of six-week mile training plan um, that could be interesting. It might, like, help your marathon, just sort of give you a switch of things and help your speed a little bit, and then when you go back to the marathon. Um, So Andy pitched that idea to me and to you, and I was like, hey, yeah, that'd be awesome. Um, And there's there's a couple of – events that could be on the horizon that we're just sort of working that six week time frame in the spring before sort of like fill in that gap of the season before you start doing fall marathon training again. So I guess that's why we're here. Would you concur? Is that is that your same side of the story as well?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, Andy and I we spoke and, and I just want to try something different. I think that's the thing about running. Sometimes you want to push yourself in different areas as opposed to kind of staying in one spot.
1: Yeah. And the beauty of the mile is that you actually do do a high percentage of your training as an endurance-based training, which isn't much different than marathon running anyway. The difference is is you allocate maybe 30% of your training towards developing power and speed, which are the neglected areas for the marathon. So you're not actually going to sort of steer too far away from what would be beneficial to marathon training. It's just you actually start adding some sort of additional – Um, skill sets to your arsenal so that that's what I think would be beneficial for you I think you'll find it a bit funner and um yeah as I said before it might help bridge the gap and but not just for you we I was actually thinking and we were planning um at Tracksmith like how can we sort of invite your community you've got a lot of followers and you're um through this podcast and on your Instagram and stuff and and we have a lot of um people in our community that might be in a similar situation to you and that they might also want to give the give a little switch to their training routine as we go into spring um ago as well so what the idea is that as i sort of help guide Mm. you towards this this new endeavor this new running experience that we invite each of our communities to to join along on this um this journey for six weeks and we're going to culminate in london specifically we're going to put on an event a a community mile event at the community track next to the olympic stadium and we're going to have a whole bunch of series of community mile races for people to try and run their fastest possible mile and then in new york city and boston we'll also have a couple of other events for those who are um stateside and for those who you, you in other parts of the world then we can also um yeah, encourage we can show you how to go about setting up time trials or do some virtual sort of like on your own type um, efforts as well. And that's how I manage it with my with mine and my wife's coaching business as well. So yeah, there's lots of different ways to skin a cat. But one of the cool things about the mile is that unlike the marathon, you can actually have multiple attempts. In fact it's actually beneficial to do multiple attempts. So as I coach Marcus for the mile. He's also gonna do the Westminster mile on May the first as sort of like a not just a tune up, but like a first attempt and then there'll be a chance to like improve upon that um four days later at the community mile races that we're gonna have at the community track in London. So yeah, that's that's the idea behind it and we'd love for many of, of your listeners to to join in um on this journey as well. You you game for that, Marcus?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Firstly, it's a great opportunity to learn from you. And secondly, I'm excited to see how the community locally and globally get involved with this. Okay, so what is the next step?
1: So let's, um, I guess, let's talk through a little bit. Normally the process is I'd like interview an athlete for maybe 20 minutes and like find out their background, what they've been doing. So I guess I can do that with you now. And um, the, the the real goal of this as people self-evaluate themselves is like, where are you currently at so that... I know what training I can give to you without risking injury, right? The main goal is for any training plan is to help you get through that time period of training and come out the other side and be able to put your toes on the start line without being injured so that you can actually do it. That's first and foremost. So I know you've recently run a marathon. So tell me a little bit quickly where you're at with that and how your body's feeling after you've just finished the, um, after you've just finished the severe marathon.
0: So it's been eight days since I ran the severe Marathon. I didn't hit my A goal, but I achieved my C goal, which was to get a Boston qualifier. In terms of recovery, I feel really good. I haven't gone for a run since because I sort of feel like I was running within myself because I just don't think the fitness was there to get where I wanted to go. But in terms of recovery, I've been fine since. I'm sort of itching to get back running, but I've been just been sensible to think, you know, just leave it for a little while. Just, you know, enjoy just going for a walk and, you know, spend time with your family and kids before you get back into, you know, the real bulk of training.
1: How does that normally, how do you normally approach the recovery time after a marathon? How long do you normally take off? And then what does it look like when you return to
0: running? Post-marathon, I typically take a minimum of two weeks off. Then when I return back to training, it's just easy running for the first week. And you're sort of gradually working your way back into it. There's no workouts. It's just time and feet. And it'll be kind of similar for this time around as well.
1: And do you sort of, do you feel out of shape in that week? Or you feel fine fitness-wise? It's just that the, you're like getting like, um,
0: coordination back in your muscles and limbs and stuff? Of course, there's that easing in process back into running. But based on my past history returning back from marathons, my aerobic levels remain good. And it doesn't really take me that long to get back into full fitness. Like I said, I typically have the first week easy, and then I resume the workouts uh, the second week.
1: And when you were doing a marathon prep, were you doing any hill training as a part of that? And if so, what type of hill running?
0: No, so it's something I need to get back into. So for London, and actually when I did my sub three, I didn't do any hill training. It was just a lot of volume. However, in my last training block, I incorporated a lot of Work in my easy runs. My route would be run up to the hill, out and back, and then run back down. But I didn't use any sort of like hill sprints or anything like that. So
1: you just included the undulating terrain as part of your runs,
0: yeah, exactly.
1: Have you had any issues with um, calf muscles or Achilles at all?
0: It's been at least six years since I've had issues, just in regards to the areas that you mentioned. But like I've said, I incorporate hill work into my easy runs, I just don't do it in my workouts. But in addition to my running, I do strength work and I do that with R&D physios a minimum twice a week.
1: Are you at the clinic or in the gym or like what does your strength work look like?
0: So both. So they've got the clinic and they've also got a gym on site.
1: Are you doing heavy weights or are you doing like preventative injury sort of body weight sort of stuff that is more acutely focused
0: on running movements? Yeah, so further out from the marathon block, it'd be the heavier stuff. And then it would just be maintenance. So it was just more general focus on developing the key areas that we need to be strong as a runner. So working the way up the chain from lower legs, calves, all the way up your glutes, your quads, up to a strong core. So it was just more about general strengthening across the chain as opposed to any kind of issues that I had going into it with any injuries touchwood. So I don't want to jinx myself, but yeah, it was all just generally trying to make me a stronger runner.
1: Yeah. I would probably like, we're obviously recording as soon when your listeners actually hear this will be right around the six weeks to go, Mark, when you'll be beginning it. But between now and then you'll have a couple of weeks to like transition. I would encourage you to start slowly building up your load tolerance on simple calf raises and eccentric calf raises. Just do them like two or three times a day, 20 on each, three sets of 20 on each um, on each leg, just on the edge of a stair or something like that. Start off smaller and slowly build into that. The, the idea is that you're just like prepping your body so that when we start doing some more aggressive hill running or eventually some intervals on the track, that that's not going to be as foreign to those lower limbs because you're sort of doing prep work for those. That's the one area people... Sometimes can get flared up because it's so new to them. They haven't been up on their toes for a long time. And that's a really safe way to like build up the the strength in that area, just with three sets of 20 calf raises and eccentric calf raises on each leg. And you can do that every day. Like literally you can do that every day.
0: Thanks. And just to add on to that, something that I do to incorporate it into my daily routine is I'd finish my run and I'd come back and obviously you've got to go up the stairs. So I'd make it part of my <laughs> daily sort of routine to yeah, like do it the way to, the sh- get to the shower or doing it because otherwise you end up missing it.
1: Yeah, no, that's really smart. Or even when you're washing dishes, do them on one foot or the other, like next to the kitchen counter or whatever.
0: <laughs> totally.
1: But that, that idea of just like, that's a good stepping stone before we actually end up giving you anything. Do you come from an athletic background on sort of more fast-twitch activation type sports? Did you play football or basketball or anything? When Would you classify yourself as someone that has fast-twitch fibers that you that you can tap into if you want?
0: Yeah, I'd say growing up, I was definitely a sprinter. I was uh, a left-winger playing football, and I used to be pretty quick. I like to think I've got that speed now, but I'm not quite sure. <laughs> so
1: well, it's probably been drummed out of you a little bit from all the marathon training, but yep. the other sort of the reason why I asked that question is especially for some guys, like the propensity to sprint gives you the a little bit more risk of pulling a muscle when your body's not used to going faster. So if I ever, if on your training plan, I assign something like 10 by 200 meters, the idea of those is to purely get your body used to running efficiently so i assigned three types of workouts one is hill intervals one is a tempo run and one is track intervals but for people in your situation like i would classify as like non-elites or non-competitive track runners people that are just wanting to do their own best I don't like to assign track intervals as a goal of like maxing out. It's, it's just to help you become more efficient at running at those high efforts. And so the temptation for you with a sprint background is to really go really hard on the last couple of intervals and like get as fast as you possibly can so it looks good on your stopwatch. But that's where you you're not really doing any benefit to your mile preparation, but you're at risk of pulling a muscle. So i just be wary of that as you try and execute those workouts. Basically all training, the mile is broken into four quarters. It's the first quarter is the getting it out. And then the middle two quarters is sort of the trying to maintain through the grind the other hardest part of the race. And then there's the final quarter where you're going to try and like summon a, a kick and pick up the effort again. But nearly all training is to help you relax and relax and relax through the The challenge of those middle two quarters when you really want to just like back off the pace but it's helping you like relax through the pain while holding your your sustained effort so that's what all the intervals and the hills and the tempos are are primarily helping you get better and more efficient at okay what was your sort of average mileage in your main marathon block prior to your break
0: for my last training block it was about 55 miles a week and this figure naturally increased as i went into the marathon block
1: and when when you did those were you did you feel like that was something that you want to maintain or do you feel like that was like wow that was a lot for the marathon i'd like to back down to a, a more manageable amount or in, in an ideal world what would you what would you like to be doing per week in this training block if, if we're, what, what?
0: so when i ran sub three i actually ran higher mileage but there were a few reasons why the training load was lower in this particular training block for Severe. it wasn't to do with any injuries or anything like that just more just life situations really but for me an important thing is to keep consistent mileage throughout the year so I can then jump back into marathon training
1: okay so we'll probably keep you in the 50s and maybe if you if you want to push your long run out you can the nice thing about the mile is you can still do a good long run each week you just got to make sure that your easy days are really easy that's the main difference between mile training and other ones is the days have a little bit more specificity to them and the long run is the one day where you can really like push it the same way as a marathoner would i mean arthur Lydiard would assign 22 mile long runs to his milers not everyone needs or has to do that by any stretch of the imagination and i'm i'm cautious as i talked to you about mileage because that this might scare a lot of other people off some people would be fine doing 10 or 15 miles a week it's the actual mileage isn't the issue from a fitness standpoint it's more what's an appropriate amount so that you're not going to get injured or be burnt out from doing it so for you i think 50s um sounds about the the right number that i will assign for your training plan but for someone else it, it would they just should do what is sort of a manageable amount while they do a couple of harder workouts a week as well. Do you, My next question is, in an ideal world, would you prefer to do three moderate workouts a week or two harder workouts a week just from your like practical work and family and
0: all of that life balance stuff? I would just say moderate because just with like you're saying with family work, recovery is quite a tricky one to get right so i think for me it's the more the moderate ones as opposed to the hard ones
1: and that actually lines up like we've had over a thousand people come through our programs and that lines up with i think by and large most people in your stage of life do actually have better success doing three workouts a week that are just like moderate ones i personally do two a week but they're like monster sessions and so it takes a lot of recovery time so the way that if you want to do three the way that i'll structure it with you is that they'll be spaced out every other day you'll do something on a tuesday something on a thursday and something on a saturday but all three of them i want you to finish them thinking oh i got i got a good little workout but i'm i could have easily done a lot more because you know that you're coming back again in two days time and then you do that again and then again in two days time but each one you'll be hitting a totally different type of energy system and using different type of terrain either hills or tempos or track intervals or some combination of the of the three and that way it's like when you're lifting weights if you switch from arms one day and then legs the next day it, you don't really feel any of the residual effects and so it's it's a sustainable continuum to be able to use throughout the week. You're not just hitting the same energy system and it's getting overworked. So it's actually quite good for injury prevention as well. So if you're okay doing those that that training cycle Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, I think we'll work that with you. And then other people, we can give the alternative for just doing a, a Wednesday Saturday one as well, or a Thursday Sunday, whatever people please.
0: Yeah, that's fine. I'm happy to go with that. Yeah.
1: So you just got to be cognizant since you're doing three. It's not about crushing the workouts. It's just about getting getting the work done and with a moderate effort and it, then to come back and just build and build and build that way.
0: 100%.
1: Yeah, and so I think the other approach that I really encourage you to do as you like try and figure out and execute these workouts, I don't care about the times. like I don't I like to assign goal time targets for any of these workouts okay. because they I think that naturally takes care of itself if you use the idea of you want to progress through every workout. So if you're doing hill intervals, let's say you're doing eight by 45 second hills. The idea is that you get further up the hill each time. So you start off, you might only get up to the tree. You start at the bottom and you get up to it. You stop your watch at 45 seconds and you reach the tree. Then the next one, you get five meters past the tree, and the next one 10 meters past the tree, and so forth. Um, the idea is that you can, each interval, you go at a slightly harder effort. And if you've if you've kept if you've maxed out and you're not getting any better throughout the workout, then it's time to pull the plug. You haven't sort of judged it well. Um, so I always like to use the rule of thumb. It's always safer to start off too slow than too fast. Because if you feel too good, you can always add an extra interval or go faster at the end if necessary so always start off very controlled and then work into it the same applies for tempo runs the same applies for track intervals if i give you 10 by 400 it doesn't matter if the first one's uh, 90 and then you end up getting down to a 78 by the end because that first one could have just been a warm-up but if you start at 75 and then you can only complete five of them then you've ruined the workout right um so start off slow get a feel okay that one was all right I think I can do eight more and then at a at a slightly faster pace than that and then you can slowly pick it up so the idea is that each interval is faster than the preceding one
0: okay that makes sense
1: and then when you do your tempo runs if I assign you a a 20 minute tempo run the idea is that you finish it feeling like I could have gone for another 10 minutes if i had had to so you're tired but you're not exhausted it's not a race Okay. So run a 20-minute run a tempo as if you were doing a 30-minute race, but you're stopping at the 20-minute mark. Okay. That's the sort of the goal zone. And it, you, you, you don't need to compare tempo runs to previous times you've done them because every given day you're bringing to the table a different set of – your body has a different exposure to fatigue from previous workouts or life experiences. So if one day you're running – one pace and then the next time you do a tempo run you're going significantly slower it doesn't mean you're out of shape or you're getting worse it just means that you brought a different um, set of tools to that particular day and it's okay it's just about being in that heart rate zone for a certain period of time that's where the benefit will come it's they don't your body doesn't really remember the actual paces it's just it's about figuring out getting the internal system exposed to the different stresses for a period of time
0: okay yeah, that makes sense.
1: And then, and then finally, the other element to the equation, we've done we've got the three workouts, we've got the long run, and the final one is the strides days. If I ever assign you strides on days, the idea is the same thing. You start off really slow, use the first three as a warm-ups, and you go slow, medium, medium, fast, fast, but you're never going 100%. You're just building up so that you're – learning to run as fast but relaxed so that you can sort of simulate how you'd want to be as you get tired in the race to still be relaxed through that fatigue. Okay. And again, I don't really care about times for those. It's about effort. You can do all of this stuff, even if it's the intervals on a dirt path or on the road or anything, because it's more effort-based rather than trying to hit specific splits. The danger for people to hit splits if they don't have like a world-class coach, right on top analyzing and monitoring everything is there's no way of actually knowing what would be the optimal splits because of what i said before like you're coming to the table with a different set of tools every given day it's better to just go by what is the right feel, and you'll get a pretty good get a pretty good judge of that after a couple of weeks
0: okay yeah okay that makes sense
1: um but yeah i think that's about it do you have any questions for me
0: what's your sort of thoughts on stretching regards to kind of what should be doing I guess post runs
1: yeah I first and foremost I never believe in stretching a cold muscle and so I all stretching I recommend to do once the muscle is warm so that is either after a warm-up or after a run and then secondly I think dynamic movements are the best form of stretching I think the very best form of stretching is to do a sprint like a cheetah sprints as fast as it can, and that's how it keeps its muscles long and lithe, right? I I think you can put your body through different ranges of motion, whether it be through drills or so through sprints or th- through some dynamic movements, and that'll be the most effective. And then finally, you can do some static stretching, but A, your muscles have to be really warm, and B, you need to be really careful to make sure that muscle groups that you're also stressing in the weight room or in other areas so that they're not losing power the biggest risk of static stretching is that you remove the tension from the muscle and then you lose the inherent um, power that comes in that muscle that comes from the tension within it and so it's okay to static stretch so long as you're activating those muscles in the in the weight room or through other um, means um, through sprinting or whatever so i would just sort of keep those three rules of thumb
0: okay that makes sense we've obviously got the three key sessions per week what would you generally look at doing i know we've spoken about obviously from now we'd start doing the calf races, but how do you incorporate strength work say in the gym or stuff you do at home alongside those three days and what's for like the most optimal results
1: yeah i would do two strength days you could do three if you really wanted to but the key is your hard days are hard and your easy days are easy. So the number one thing in my personal opinion is that you don't want to disrupt your recovery days with additional cross training or weight room work you need on your recovery days. You need to let your body recover and make those adaptations. So if you're going to do strength work, do it after the workouts or after the long run, um, so that the recovery days aren't being impeded,
0: um, Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And that's something I've tried to do previously as well.
1: I I personally like to do one after one of my midweek workouts and one after my long run. I don't like lifting after my Saturday workout because then I've got my long run the next day and my legs are dead from all of the lifting. But if I do it after my, I do it in the evening after a long run and it sort of like wakes me up after the sluggishness of a long run.
0: Okay, I've got a couple more questions spoken about, just the car races and working way into it. So today's date is, well, we're at the end of February and obviously I'm going to just finish the Seville so I'm going to be giving myself a little bit more time off. So I'll start my easy runs from, I guess, start of March onwards. When does the training for, for us start proper?
1: So if you are going to, let's say we're going to have you finish the six weeks on May 1st, that means you'll start like March the 16th or 17th, somewhere around there. Okay. Um, and then you'll have two attempts at the mile, right? So we have the six-week block finish when the first race is, and then you can keep racing for a few weeks afterwards if you like, um, and you'll still carry over the benefits of this training. So between now and then, you've got two and a half weeks. you got to think about all of the different elements that I just described to you that you're going to be doing. So what are really small ways that you can like – give yourself a little bit of exposure to those things. So you're gonna be doing some hill intervals. So rather than doing forty five second hills now, you could do five second hills for let do three or four times five seconds in your first week of running, just to like make sure that your Achilles and your ankles and your lower limbs are used to that stress of that um slope of the of the hill. If you're gonna be doing some strides, you're gonna wanna eventually not maybe not in the first week, but maybe do at the end of a run do a couple of five or six second pickups at the end of a run just to get that same sort of feeling again before you're doing actual strides but the calf races sort of take care of both of those babies yeah the, but just use that idea that you want to slowly um, give yourself minimal exposures to those different stress loads
0: yeah that makes a lot of sense and i guess the last question is to do with the mental side so I guess what sort of practices would you adopt or you'd advise someone like myself to adopt going from the marathon to go down to the mile training
1: yeah no it's a really good question and maybe my initial answer isn't necessarily mental but it's about the execution of the race the mile is very much like the marathon in the sense that if you screw up your pace judgment in the first part of the race it screws up the rest of the race there's not really any a point of return i've even to the point where if someone is doing a solo time trial and they're like three or four seconds ahead of the target pace after 200 meters i tell them to stop the race and then wait five minutes and start again because like if they're already three seconds ahead of time it's just there's they're going to screw up their whole um run so but the beauty of the of the mile compared to the marathon is that you get You get more attempts at it if you screw it up you can come back again a few days later and and try again so that's the saving grace um but that's the idea of the 800 meter time trial is it gives you a chance to like really have a a good like benchmark to know what is a healthy pace judgment with which to work so the idea through the mental approach to all of this is that you need to learn to be patient and patient and patient both and how you start all of your intervals to start easy and work into it. And then when you are actually going into race execution, the biggest temptation for people is they get carried away in the first two hundred meters and they go too fast and it screws everything else up.
0: Do you like count your steps at all? I guess you must know like how many steps it takes for four hundred meters, for example. And is that something you have in, in your mind when you're trying to make sure you're keeping um as even as possible in the first say four hundred metres? No,
1: I ha- I have no idea how many steps I take per 400 or per minute or anything like that. I've never, I just have like been doing it my whole life that I know what effort. Yeah. And I guess maybe it's even like even more innate, like what amount of wind rushing past my ears is the appropriate
0: sound for certain speeds maybe. <laughs> yeah that makes sense like you said it's experience and i think sometimes especially for someone like myself you can potentially overthink these things Uh, like we say it's just about judging and understanding the effort really but in
1: training it's it's totally okay if you're way too slow okay it's better to be way too slow than a little bit too fast because like you can always just call that a warm-up rep and it didn't count and you do another one but if you go too fast then it just screws up everything else so always and then you'll like slowly bring those extremes closer into the equilibrium as you as you get more and more experience
0: yeah totally yeah so last question actually just thinking about sleep and I, I, i'm not sure if i've got this right but there's something that happens i think i think around 10 o'clock you need to be in your bed around that time beforehand uh to get the maximum benefit um i don't know if, if it's something you know more about than me to be honest
1: I mean, there's the old wives' tale, right, that an hour before midnight's worth two hours afterwards. I've actually done a bit of a deep dive. Um, It's actually a British fellow. Um, He's sort of the world's foremost sleep expert. He's based out of um, Harvard University now. um, Anyway, his name eludes me for now, but basically he was explaining that there is no one specific circadian rhythm that all the world needs to apply to. There are such things as night owls and morning morning larks and everyone in between on the different spectrum. But the idea for everyone is that we need to be on a consistent routine seven days a week. If you end up thinking that you're having a normal sleep pattern on the weekdays and then you have a totally different sleep pattern on the weekend, it doesn't work. It screws up your your habits, you want to have the same wake up time every day of the week. Um, and ideally that will help you have a consistent sleep time as well. Stay away from caffeine as much as possible in the X number of hours before you sleep. So it's not going to affect it. And, um, and stay away from huge, massive meals of carbohydrates before bed. Cause that's going to like screw up your body's ability to get into REM sleep as well. And alcohol is the other big, factor which limits your ability body's ability to get into REM sleep any level of alcohol in your bloodstream will will limit your body's recovery when it's sleeping as well so you've got to be cognizant of when and where you want to practice some 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 of your social needs as well
0: yeah totally so thank you for sharing that and i feel like it's been really helpful for me and hopefully it's been useful for everyone else listening to it and i hope that everyone else gets involved with this project it's going to be really exciting to see how you all do nick thank you for being a guest on the runners Life podcast i'm really excited to get started and i'm really looking forward to learning from you
1: yeah no it's going to be really exciting and hopefully we get a lot, bunch of people down for the weekly workouts that we have on thursday nights down at regents park and join marcus as we do hills or tempo we'll have a, a local coach out there administering those and um i hope to see everyone at the event on may 5th at the community track in london olympic park we'll see you there take care Marcus thanks mate
0: thank you thank you for listening to this episode of a runner's life if you found value in this episode and you want to support the show please share with your community post on your social media channels and encourage them to listen and subscribe if you want to support my work directly you can become a member on patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash a runner's life if you want to get updates on the podcast or you want to see what i'm up to you can follow me on instagram at a runner's life underscore podcast and at the marathon marcus your time is valuable so thank you for spending your time listening to this episode of a runner's life podcast